Gen X Playback, episode number 24. And welcome to the Gen X Playback Show. It's your favorite show about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And you are listening to Jermaine Stewart from one of the towns that we'd like to give a shout out to tonight. And that is none other than Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio, one of our highest rated uh, areas that follows the Gen X Playback Show. We want to say special thanks. But Jermaine Stewart's an interesting character uh, had this one hit song in the 1980s was previously with the band Shalimar he was yes which you and I both really enjoyed mm-hmm. listening to and uh, just one of those fun happy 80s songs that I never knew a cherry wine was until uh, Jermaine came out with this song but this was uh, really sh- now you want to try some right <laughs> sure yeah it was just one of those fun songs that came out around the middle of the decade around 1985 and Jermaine Stewart hailing from Columbus, Ohio, and Columbus, Ohio, Sean, have you ever had a chance to go out there? I've not. Um, as a, uh, a Penn State grad who went to every football game when I was when I attended, I saw a lot of Columbus, Ohio, Ohio State fans come in. Sure. So I've interacted with a lot, but I've actually never made it to Columbus. Okay. I had an opportunity to go out there two years ago, and I was out there for a week. You know, as, as those of you that do listen to the show know that in uh, my previous job, I was uh, delivering bottled water for a local water company. And I really have had the opportunity to see a lot of the Northeast. And really, when I say see it, I mean, really get to see it. Because when you're delivering uh, bottled water, you're certainly your boots on the ground, you are in the neighborhoods, you're in the streets, you're trying to park, you're carrying stuff all around. And so I had a chance to go out to Columbus, Ohio. And I really enjoyed being out in that city. I thought Columbus, Ohio was was very, uh, you know, coming from having to drive around Philadelphia and South Jersey and deal with all the traffic around there. I thought, wow, for for a city that's, I mean, it's not as a major, huge city, but it's a it's a decent sized city. I mean, they do have you know the Columbus Blue Jackets, the NHL team, they are in Columbus, but you know, Ohio State University is right there in the middle of the city, but. Right. In terms of like getting around town with traffic and you know trying to, to maneuver around the highways and local streets, I really found that that was an easy city to navigate, and the people were so stinking nice. Um, yeah. I mean, Ohio, I just could not believe. I you know Columbus wasn't the only town that I was in and around. I mean, I basically covered forty to fifty miles east, west, north, south of of the city. I could not get over how nice the people were in Ohio. And I said, I would easily come back here, uh, you know, at any time. And it reminds me of where we grew up because we're here in obviously Lancaster County, Nestville, Pennsylvania, because we are the largest podcast in Nestville, PA. Absolutely we are. But what struck me, and I know that there's a lot of people that have migrated from our area out to the Ohio area because there's so many towns that are, have the same names. Like we are in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I thought that we were the only Lancaster in the country that pronounced it 
Lancaster okay. as opposed to Lancaster. No, out in Ohio, they call it Lancaster. And I was very surprised. And there's, there's a lot of similar uh, town names that, you know, Lancaster wasn't the only one that was, was similar. So I just thought, you know, it's sort of a little extension of where we grew up. And you know, like I said, I, I could not get over how friendly and um, how nice the people were in, in that town for, from dealing with, you know, a couple of hundred people throughout that week. Well, you know, and so it's not a surprise that these super nice people would tune into the uh, the Mighty Gen X Playback Podcast, where you know it's it's about regular people. It's about good. It's about memories that that the average person has. You know, so, you know, Scott and I, we uh, you know, we might think that we were celebrities from time to time, but we're not really. <laughs> no, we're just a couple of regular guys, and uh, you know, we had normal experiences. And so, you know, I I I do kind of feel, you know, that I could see how there would be like this kindred spirit that we would have, you know. But that being said, you know, we love all our listeners, no matter where you are. You could be from some exotic places, and, and we're, we're amazed at that as well. But, you know, definitely, Scott, I, I like I said, I would go see, uh, you know, Ohio State play Penn State in football games. And usually I'd end up talking to somebody from, you know, an Ohio State fan that, that traveled from Ohio to the game. And always such a nice time even though kind of bitter rivals in a way it although they're more have bigger rivalry with michigan than they do with with penn state but still for penn state is a big deal for us and i will i will make this comment about their football stadium you can see it right from the highway okay it's a beautiful stadium i mean it's and the setup is you're looking directly down from the highway you can almost look inside the one corner where the horseshoe is Mm -hmm. and you can see pretty much the playing field i just thought that is so cool and the fact that it's right there, I mean, it's right there in the city, and the campus is all around it. It's really, an ex- the, the Columbus, the city, is an extension of the campus. And it kind of reminded me of a lot of when you and I used to do Division II college basketball when mm-hmm. we followed the Millersville Marauders. And we would go to these little towns, and the, the towns were basically the extension of the college. And even though it's on a larger scale, uh, you know, Penn State is – is a part of, you know, obviously um, Penn State is what it is, but the campus and the town, they're close, but it wasn't like all around. It's like almost like Ohio State University was almost like right in the heart and everything else kind of revolved around it, which kind of reminded me of some of those colleges we used to visit when we used to cover basketball. Right. You know, I, I have already been out to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and, you know, while I've never been to Columbus, in my mind I kind of think that they might be somewhat similar where you have the university there. You have the city and the capital, and so all those things are there, and you know, kind of see the interaction. So, yes, Columbus, we love having you on board. Uh, be great to get out there at some point and uh, and see Columbus. That you know, I've, I've actually talked about it a few times. The Columbus, I know you have one of my favorite um, gym equipment manufacturers, Road Fit Fitness, is out there, and I've honestly thought of driving out there so I could save the freight charges. And pick stuff up right there from the factory, and I've, I've I've actually sat down and tried to like you know on Google Maps like calculate how I can do this, but uh, yeah no it's uh, Columbus is is definitely someplace that I will get there eventually. Well, that you mention it, the hotel that I stayed at, I actually drove past that factory. Every oh day. really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I know exactly where it is. Yeah, I have quite a bit of road equipment. And down the road is a Quaker Steak and Lube. And you and I know Quaker Steak and Lube from our uh, West Coast days in PA. Yeah, right. Absolutely. All right. So 
last week, um, you know, we wanted to, we're, we're switching gears a little bit again. Uh, this particular episode, Sean had the control over what we were going to talk about. And so you wanted to, you know, I wanted to bring up a kind of a happy song that we had going in mm-hmm. uh, talking about, uh, you know, Jermaine Stewart, we don't have to take our clothes off. It's just a nice poppy, happy go lucky song. And we kind of want to turn and, and cover some happy go lucky mo- memories for us from going back into the Gen X era. And that would be the variety show. Absolutely. So we, you know, the, the variety show was really big, especially in the 1970s. Right. And, and so to kind of, to, to, but it also does go into the 80s and a little bit into the 90s as well. You know, at least when we're each going to do a list, and when I do my list, you'll see that, that and I'll give some dates so you kind of know where they fall, um, like within the Gen X era. But with um, with the variety show, and, you know, so I'll see what Scott, if you kind of agree with this, there was this formula for the most part. And the idea was, all, generally speaking, the show would revolve around a star. It could be multiple stars. But, you know, oftentimes it was a single star. They would kind of come out, do a monologue. That was typical. Let some, some little jokes. Then they would have some sketch comedies. And at some point, there was going to be either they, if they were an artist, musical artist, they were going to sing, or they were going to bring out a guest. Right. And sometimes they would do both. Right. Sometimes there would be some dancing. But it was always the this idea. It's the variety, right? right. So it's not just one thing. It's not just a sketch comedy show it's it's not just uh you know nothing but but um uh you know the acts being brought out i mean ed sullivan not on my list but would you say ed sullivan was a variety show sure because it was all different types of talent okay so ed sullivan you would have you know shushka the dancing bear or you would have somebody go out and and perform dancing and then you of course you also had the musical acts which was Probably what Ed Sullivan's mostly remembered for. Sure, but it was way more than that. I mean, did not didn't uh, what was his name? Jackie Gleason, not Jackie Gleason. Jackie Mason famously got bumped from being on the show in favor of, I think it was the Beatles. Or, I think so, or somebody something like that. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, it wasn't just music; it was stand-up comedy, right? Which ended up really more. I think one of the true variety shows of its time. And this predates Gen X, would be the start of uh, Rowan and Martin's laughing. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's on that's on my list. So oh, sorry. We'll, okay. we'll get okay. into that a little bit okay. later. And the um, well, the idea is it's it's different than what I think usually what we're seeing today, and that would be the talk show format. Right. Right. So there, obviously, you know, the the classic Tonight Show where where Johnny Carson's coming out, he's doing the monologue, and he's interviewing people. Sure, there's the occasional comedian that's going to come out, or there's he would do a little sketch comedy. Um, but for the most part, it was talking, mm-hmm. right? So maybe your list is a little bit different, but from my list, when I was compiling this, that's kind of what I was keeping in mind, which it, 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 I'm going to use the word variety, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the exact same formula, uh, that like one, like the, the, some of the shows here used where you'll see this kind of repeat pattern what a lot of them do, especially in the 70s. But as we get into the list, I, I do try to tweak a little bit. Okay. So if let's go ahead and we can get into my list. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to get into our list. And what I'm going to do is, is I have a top 12 list and then I have some honorable mentions. So we're going to start off with the um, number 12 on my list. And let me go to it right here. And 
I'm not going to actually pick the theme song from this particular show. And I do that. I mix it up a little bit, Scott, because sometimes I'll, I'll have theme songs that the actual show's theme song. Sometimes it'll just be uh, songs that are kind of associated with the artists that were involved with the show. Right. Part of that is because I couldn't find every theme song because yes. with with us being limited to what what Spotify has available, sometimes they had the theme songs and sometimes they didn't. Correct. So the first one is, and I know you're going to recognize this. Ah, uh, that Greg Brady, right? Yes, what a great voice. This is, of course, the uh, Time to Change song by the Brady Bunch. Yeah. And there's Marsha. And Barry Williams, in his autobiography about the history of the Brady Bunch, he actually admired Maureen's voice, said she can really sing. And he credited her, you know, he said, I worked really hard at being a singer. And Maureen had a, had a very natural gift. She just went in and just knocked it out? Yeah. Well, this is obviously a song from a very famous episode of The Brady Bunch. It's not from a variety show, but The Brady's did come out later on. And let's see, it was... Actually, don't... This is one I forgot to get the date on. I it was like 76. I'm going to say it was 77 because yeah. it was after Donnie and Marie. So with the, the Brady's, they come out with a variety show. And it's you know kind of typical what I talked about before, where it's kind of a sketch comedy show. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, def- they're dancing and they're singing. Everyone's there but Jan. Correct. You know, they, they all come back uh, for, to, to perform. But it was, it was just kind of interesting as a kid, you know, at this time when this one comes out, I'm probably like eight years old or so. And I was really a big fan of the Brady Bunch. We were because for you and I, this is we were just kind of just watching the reruns for the first time, right? At, at our age, so to the older viewers, you know, probably to our sister and our parents, well, the Brady Bunch was a thing that had been off TV for probably three or four years, but for you and me, it was like this is brand new. And right. not only are you seeing where you're watching the, them as kids, now you're seeing them as they're just a little bit older, and to me, that's what kind of drew me in and thought hey this is this is really cool because i was just starting to watch the shows well especially when you took a character like bobby mm-hmm. right so bobby's a little boy on the show and we're, we're watching him he's you know, pretty close to our age and then all of a sudden the show pops up a few months later and here he is i don't know he'd been a teenager or almost in his 20s yeah true yeah and and obviously um you know cindy she was i think a year younger than bobby okay and so she would have been in the same in the same situation, and not only that, but I know having read the the Brady Bunch autobiography by Barry Williams, it came out around 1993. I think you read it too. Sure, I did. Yeah, and that was one of the uh, complaints was that the kids all felt like they were not allowed to grow up. Yeah, you know, they reached a point where they were starting to change. Mm-hmm. Speaking and, of change, time to change. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and this episode was about Peter's voice changing. Which, interestingly, the the song that I just played does not have his voice cracking in the song. Well, yeah, I mean... I, I was kind of disappointed. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to hear that. Do you think that was actually Peter doing, when it's time to change? I don't know, but I, yeah. I, I always, it cracked me up when uh, I was a little kid. I thought funny. it was hilarious. Pete was the, uh, he was the cut-up of the, he was probably the funniest one on oh, the yeah. show, I thought. Anyway. Yeah, he was my favorite. Uh, but yeah, it was the, the, the whole cast with the exception of eve plum came back and and started this 
kind of revival, but there were so many variety shows on at that particular time. And there had already been probably three or four major ones that were on the air when the Brady Bunch Variety Hour hits hits the airwaves. Right. Now, you know, I think we talked about it in one of our other episodes. Yeah, I know we did. Because when we talked about the shows from the 1970s, if you could have a family show, that was that was gold for for the uh, for the networks because you could get everybody watching together. I mean, mm-hmm. so if you're gonna you're gonna market, we we have the parents, we have the teenagers, we have the little kids all together. I think this is a show that may have had some of that because you would have had, um, you know, variety shows were very big at least in our family. We would yes. sit and watch them, and I know other families would do that as well. We would yes. sit down everyone together because it was something we could all agree on. Yes, and I and I think for our for our mom and dad, they kind of grew up in the Lawrence Welk era, watching Lawrence Welk because I remember mom and dad both commenting on it, and I remember, do remember seeing it on TV when I was really young. Right, and I think this was kind of a, I would say a compromise, for them to watch something a little newer, probably a little more mainstream. Even though Lawrence Welk was still on the air in the mid seventies, the fact that you were able to watch you know put the kids in front of the tv and watch somebody do a little yuck it up slapstick comedy mm-hmm. tell a couple of jokes sing some songs yeah you know the parents probably didn't care for the songs as much but they probably liked the you know the the slapstick humor so you know it was kind of a win for everybody and that's the sort of thing I, you know i don't know that we had to get deep into every one of these because they all use the same formula yes i mean especially in the mid 70s yes they they all are are Going for the uh, the slapstick humor. You go back and watch some of the the videos on YouTube, and the jokes aren't that funny. No, I mean no. I, I I probably really liked him as a little kid, but I I was like, yeah, I don't really get what this was all about. Yeah, uh, no Bruce Valanche uh, writing any jokes on, on those uh, joke room floors, you know. Right, right. So anyway. that was that starts off my list at number twelve, and um, I mean, I, what I'm trying to do with at least with my list is these are for the most part shows that i watched mm-hmm. you know that if they're a little before my time that i i they, they don't make the cut for my list so it, that was right in the heart like you know i said i was probably about eight years old or so with that so that was the brady bunch hour and the song was time to change okay so the next one is should come as no surprise because i mentioned this artist in uh, my artist of the 70s and the fact that I said I watched his, t- his variety show, and this is Tony Orlando and Dawn. And this song was performed on the very first episode of Tony Orlando and Dawn. Okay. This was the this was the very first cut, the very first scene from his variety show. Was- and, and this is, of course, uh, Tie Yellow Ribbon uh, around the Old Oak Tree, which is, I think, their biggest hit. It was, yeah. And it was... You know, Knock Three Times was probably pretty, pretty big one up there as well. Yeah, but I mean, this one ended up kind of getting a, a slight revival because remember in 1979 with the Iranian hostages, this became like the theme song for bringing the people home. I don't know if you remember that. Dude. Oh yeah, people were tying yellow ribbons around the tree, and it, it is something that I, I, I saw Tony Orlando uh, perform uh, on YouTube. And he, you know, kind of will usually tell a story before he sings the song, and oftentimes it's something that is involved with the military. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's typical because you know you're going to get deployed, and you're away from your family members, and you go away, and this is a song that I think is 
just been part of the U.S. culture, especially the U.S. military culture, for the last getting close to 50 years. Yeah. Because the, the Tony Orlando and Dawn show was on from 1974 to 1976. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these, these variety shows didn't have a very long shelf life. You're, they may have been on, I think, of the ones that I remember coming across, I think the longest ones were on for four or five seasons. Yeah, and the the typical formula seemed to be you would find a musical artist mm-hmm. that had, a, you know, a kind of a popular song, and then they would give them a variety show. I'm not sure why that was the thing. Why suddenly, if you were a singer with a with one or two hits, they were going to give you a variety show. But that's what they did. There were also a lot of stand up comics that got variety shows and those didn't last long at all most of those only lasted one season uh you know bill cosby had a had a variety show in the 70s richard pryor had a variety show in the 70s uh, even james brown had a variety show oh, in the james 70s. brown had one? i was very surprised i don't remember I, that i don't ever remember remember seeing it now one that's not on my list is is flip wilson mm-hmm. because once again i'm kind of you know leaning more towards those you know who might have been singing you know flip was a comedian so i don't tend to have a lot of comedians who are on my list um but yeah no absolutely that seemed to be the thing if you were a musical performer or if you were a comedian that tends to be who they were giving the uh, the shows to all right so tony Orlando and dawn uh, you do remember that show, right? Sure. You it's on my it? list. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're two for two for so far. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but once again, you know, a show that I, I really, really liked. And, you know, Tony Orlando, we talked about in the in the other episode, just what a likable guy he was. Likable guy, yeah. Uh, you know, I got to admit, when I saw the behind the music or when they when they talked about Freddie Prince and like his, his drug problems, it turned out that he and... Uh, Tony oh. Orlando were like the uh, two drug buddies, and yeah. they're they're getting in trouble. It's like, oh no, Tony Orlando. Yeah, but I also credit the guy for being able to open up and be very honest sure. and not cover up his past. Absolutely. I mean, because it would have been very easy, you know, because he had a lot of little kids who were fans of his yeah. to try to hide that. And to his credit, you know, he came forward with that. But uh, yeah, you know, that, and that was always my big takeaway. Just kind of what I said with the um, with that other episode. Very charismatic performer. And of course, you know the Dawn, and you know Thelma Hopkins was the one who went on to more success. Tel- Thelma Hopkins was the one that ended up on Bosom Buddies, and then she was on Family Matters a little bit later on. She ended up having quite a successful and long acting career, and you can kind of see it on the very. I, I watched the pilot episode of of the Variety Show this week, mm-hmm. and she does kind of jump off the screen. Okay, she's very pretty, and she just has such a quick timing. You know, you can obviously tell that the two of them had this banner going on in their, club, you know, nightclub act. Right. And she was just so quick and the facial gestures and you could tell that she she had a brighter future ahead of her than just being a backup singer. Right, right, which she did. Okay, so moving on to my next artist and we're going to go to number 10 on my list. Let's see if we can go two for two with Scott on his list. Here's a, a live cut. This is not... You know, the theme for the show. But this is probably the biggest hit for this artist. Yeah, we're three for three. Okay, so this is Barbara Mandrell. And Barbara Mandrell and her sisters, the Mandrell sisters, they had a variety show from 1980 to 1982. Two seasons, yeah. Two seasons. It was um, uh, Louise... Louise and Earlene. And Earlene, right. Louise was the fiddle player. 
and Earlene played drums. Okay. And I had a huge crush on Earlene. She was the blonde. She was the youngest one. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So this was, you know, like I said, in, this was in the 80s. And so the, the variety shows are still kind of going on. This is kind of more the tail end of the, of the peak. I didn't know who Barbara Mandrell was before her show started. Really? Yeah, I wasn't really aware oh, of her. Okay, because I, I knew who she was. I mean, I knew I, I knew the song very well. I I knew she was a country singer, but yeah. I didn't I didn't really know her well. Okay. And, but this was a show that our whole family watched. Absolutely. And it was on for two seasons. It would have been on longer had she not backed away from the show. Okay. And uh, my research, she said she ended up quitting because. It was taking a toll on her physically, and her voice was basically falling apart because they were working 16 hours a day, and she was touring at the same time. Okay. And she just said she was she was exhausted; she couldn't do it anymore. But it was it was a funny it was a funny show. It's rare to see, you know, three women up there without you know like a husband and wife or right. without a male female. But it was it was three sisters, and. You don't when you go back and did you watch any of the shows this week? I did not. No. Okay. I watched. I watched one, and they would always do a, a a song where they would perform together. Sure. And both sisters actually played in Barbara's backup band. Okay. And you know, Earlene's on the drums. Um, Louise is either playing some type of a banjo or playing the fiddle. But they're. I mean, they're good. I mm-hmm. mean, they could. They were amazing musicians. Well, what I I liked about the show that my biggest memory is the fact they had a pretty good interaction with one another. They did. You know, they were funny. The sibling rivalry. The kind sibling. Of thing. You know, Earlene was kind of played the dimwit. You know, that was always her like shtick that she had uh, going on, and uh, Louise was kind of the. Uh, I don't know. I was. I don't know if she was more the, the kind of the straight person. On sort there. of, yeah. But, you know, and of course, you know, Barbara was, she was without a doubt the star of mm-hmm. the show. Yeah, and I think the one episode that really stands out to me is they did this thing where they were posing for, like, the uh, calendars of the month. Okay. And they had on these sexy outfits, and I think it's Earlene's like, I'm July because I'm hot. And I can't remember what Louise was. <laughs> and then Barbara goes... I'm February because it's short. Because remember, they always made fun of her height, right? Because they were so much taller than her. But that was but, one that stood out to me. Yeah, and then and then when I became really aware of her, other than the you know they would play those those compilation commercials, you know, for those albums. And I remember hearing her, some of her songs they played in the commercials. So that's how I knew who she was, but I didn't necessarily really know her. But after watching the show, I was very aware of Barbara Mandrell. And this was probably a carryover, remember, at this particular time, 1981, 1982. Country music has really crossed over into pop music. And that's kind of the the what she, the point she's making with that song. I was country when country wasn't cool. Yeah. Because, like, you know, we talked about when with Urban Cowboy, suddenly, late 70s, is cool to be into country music. Right. And now, she waited to do the show. She had been offered... I can't remember which executive had offered her the chance to do her own variety show, but it basically been on her case for about two or three years before she finally agreed to do it. And so she would have probably been in the seventies with a lot of these other variety shows that we're going to talk about. Well, interestingly about this one, this is probably the one of the, it's not the last one that I really paid attention to, but at 1980, I'm 12 years old Mm -hmm. and I'm not necessarily as interested in sitting down with the entire family right. and, and watching something together. 
Uh, you know, I have my own television in my room. I could easily go up and watch something. But this show kind of pulled me in. And at first, I didn't think I would like it. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw like the the pilot episode, and I may have reluctantly sat down there, and then you would have seen me each week sitting down there watching. <laughs> Not when you admit it to anybody, but I actually did like the show. Well, remember, we have a we have an episode coming up of, of Guilty Pleasures, so <laughs> right, maybe that'll right. make your Guilty Pleasures list. Right, so um, since that sounds like Scott's going to cover that on his list, uh, I'll move on to the next one. Okay. So that was number 10. So number nine on my list is... Captain Sunil, and then this is the song Love Will Keep Us Together. Now, I watched this, them perform this on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Sure. And this is completely created by keyboards. The whole sound, which is the captain. Right, but Tony was playing too. Okay. Tony Tennille, they would actually have keyboards that would face each other. Yeah, I remember that, sure. And they would they would go back and forth. Obviously, Captain wouldn't sing. Right. But he was sort of known as being one of the more innovative and probably one of the best keyboard players of his time. And he actually played keyboards for the Beach Boys. Really? I just and, knew him as the guy that wore the captain's hat. Well, that's they kind of gave him the moniker and, and nicknamed him the captain. So he, based on that nickname that the Beach Boys gave him, started wearing this captain's hat. Okay. And that's, it stuck. Um, but Captain and Tennille, it, I don't think there's any, as far as making a variety show, Tony Tennille was, was a very expressive, you know, she's a very outgoing mm-hmm. personality. Captain could not be any more different than that. Right. But, you know, surprisingly, I remember watching that show as a little kid. 1976 to 77. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I remember, I remember um, and they showed this on TV a couple of times recently. And it's probably why it stood out to me from when I was a little kid, because I think it's the one that everybody remembers, is when she's on stage performing the Rubber Band Man, mm-hmm. and then the captain is down there on the floor with rubber bands like big giant rubber bands and he's like trying to play him and he's got him between his arms and his legs and he's just looking very awkward. I, you know, the one word that comes to mind with all of these variety shows, especially in the seventies is silly. Yeah. 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 Make no mistake about it. And I think the premise of all the joke writing on the show with, with captain and Tennille was that, you know, captain had such a small personality, right? You know, he's just, he was a very introspective person, put it that way. Right. But it, it was definitely one, once again, another show that the entire high family tuned into. And right. so we were, we were very loyal viewers, even if it was only for one season. Yeah. All right. So that is number nine on my list. Captain and Tennille, it's going to take us up to number eight. I'm so glad we had this time together. Now, think about that for a second. Just to have a laugh or sing This is the theme to the Carol Burnett show. Yeah. Not sung by Carol Burnett because I just, just couldn't find it. But she would come out and she would sing this at the end of the show. Yeah. And if there's a... In my opinion, and, and Carol Burnett it ranks very high on my list. This is... This is one of my biggest childhood memories of television. Which is interesting because this was a CBS show. 
Right. And we didn't necessarily watch a lot of CBS shows. Correct. And I remember uh, our our grandma, uh, my mo- our mom's mom, she was bedridden in a nursing home, and we had to we would go and visit her every week. And this was one of the TV shows I remember us watching sure. in that room. And right. That and the magical world of Disney are probably the two shows that stand out to me the most. And I'll never, you know, every time I hear the song, it kind of takes me back into that room, watching it on on the TV that she had. And this was the one from 1967 to 1978, so a very long running show for a variety show. It was, and surprisingly, the cast stayed intact. I mean, with the you had some people that would come and go, but for the most part, it was. Harvey Corman, sure. it was Tim Conway, mm-hmm. it was Vicki Lawrence. And I think what made this show special is they didn't care if they cracked up during the sketch. And that was some of the best scenes, is if you go back and watch it, especially Harvey Corman. It's like he, he just can't keep it together as he's performing. He just starts, and it's like they're trying to make him laugh. Well, and they even said that. I, I watched one of those, you know, Time Life mini commercials about, uh, about, watching infomercials about buying the Carol Burnett series. And that was one of the things that Tim said. He said, well, yeah, I remember there was one particular episode where all I was trying to do was make Harvey crack up. (laughs) And he goes, I wouldn't stop. And then finally, I guess about halfway through the filming, he got him. And then Harvey couldn't keep a straight face the rest of the night. Right, And of course, then Tim Conway gets his own variety show later on. I I, I kind of thought I'd just kind of mention that here. It's not on my list. It's a show that, you know, I did watch, but it's not nearly at the level what you know carol burnett show was and then carol burnett i think she she just turned 90 i, I think she i did. saw that she did and she really is a pioneer in television uh, you know it's not just from the variety standpoint but even before she was a broadway actress and singer before she even got the variety show and just it was so funny and some of the skits that they had in the characters really set the stage for so much of kind of that slapstick television Going forward, I mean, everybody talks about Lucille Ball, but I put Carol Burnett right up there with Lucille Ball as the great female comedians of all time. And Carol Burnett um, is still acting, so she is excellent in the final season of Better Call Saul. She makes an appearance. I don't want to give it away because there's a lot of people that that may not have, have, at this point, watched Better Call Saul, but if you're a Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul fan, you know what I'm talking about. When she appeared, I didn't know she was going to be appearing in the episode, mm-hmm. and she, and I was and I remember watching going, "There's Carol Burnett," and she at I was either eighty eight or eighty nine, whenever she she filmed this, uh, was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, she really added a lot to to her role on the show. So still doing it, uh, always you know kind of impressed by Carol Burnett, and like Scott said, this. Maybe the the reason why we have kind of fond memories of it is because you know it is something that we would watch there in, when we visit our grandma in the, in the nursing home. Uh, so, you know, always kind of brings a smile to my face whenever I uh, I see any of those characters, whether it's Tim Conway or uh, uh, you know Harvey Corman. Love Harvey Corman and Blazing Saddles. It's you know one of the, one of the great movies and great characters of all time. Is that Hedy Lamar? <laughs> That's Headley. Just he, he's a great he's great in it. But you know I. I Make no mistake about it, you know, Carol Burnett was the head of that, of the ship, and, you know, very super successful, one of the most successful shows, period, in television history, not just variety shows. Uh, Yeah, and I think it is one of the longest-running TV series that uh, CBS 
And I mean, it ranks right up there with MASH in terms of longevity. So Right. So that was number eight to Carol Burnett Show. Number seven. Do, 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 do. See if you Gen Xers remember this. I sure do. <laughs> of course, this is Sha Na Na. And uh, with how they would always end their show with Good Night, Sweetheart, Good Night. With uh, John Bowser Bauman up there. Yep. Bowser. I was trying to remember all the names of the guys that were on. Oh, I couldn't do that. I, I remember that. Bowser. I remember Johnny because he was the pretty one. There was, what was his name? Uh, Denny. He was he was the black guy. Okay. Um, Martino. I, I I have no idea. He was he was the guy that had the had the bald head, but he always thought he was such a pretty boy. I always remember him winking a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had the kind of the heavy set sax player yeah, with the right. beard. Uh, yeah, we loved this show, and it was I think I think what was different is so many of these variety shows were on for a full hour. Whereas Shanana was thirty minutes, it was like wham bam, you know, in and out the door, and it was. If you watch, go back and watch any of the episodes, it's it's very fast moving. I mean, the skits are not long, right? They go very quickly, and you know, they were funny. I mean, you know, once again, maybe it's something that you know, as an adult, I'm not going to find as funny because once again, they were they were going for silly, they were going for slapstick, and it it, it definitely was was you know they they weren't going to be these great dramatic actors because these were singers but they had they had a stage show yeah and essentially what they were doing them goofing around on the camera was pretty much what they did with their audiences where they told stories told jokes kind of had this interaction between one another and they had these these goofy characters bowser being probably the most memorable one of them but these you know they they had this by the time they hit TV, they had been a touring band for many, many years, more than a decade. And tell you a funny story about Shanana is when I went to broadcasting school back in 1996, I used to carpool with a guy that was in our area named Lee Feldman. Okay. So Lee, if you're listening, I haven't forgotten you, but we used to carpool together to school and we used to go two nights a week. And he used to tell me all these stories because it, back in the day, he was older than me. I was 25. I think he might have been 45. And he played in bands when he was in his early 20s. So he's going back to the 70s, like the early to mid-70s. And he said he actually saw Shanana perform live. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, you remember the scene in Greece? Because they were the band in Greece in the at, movie. At, at the high school dance. Johnny Casino and the Gamblers is what they were called in the movie. But he said, you remember the scene where they show up and the guy's yelling at him for being late? And then they just immediately put their instruments on and start playing. Okay. He goes, that's exactly what they did when I saw them at concert. He said, they showed up late. They came piling in and they basically did a sound check in all of like 15 seconds. And they just start rolling right into the music. And he said, that, that is what he remembers about them seeing them live. It was, it was very accurate to what they were in the movie. Well, the, the show was on from 1977 to 1981. Kind of the, the heart of the, when the, like the movie Grease was out and with the exception of carol burnett this is actually one of the longer running variety shows that we're probably going to talk about tonight so. and this is one that you know i think we watched very consistently and it and what i liked about it was it really exposed me to the music of the 50s yeah and it showed that 
fifties music was still cool. Yeah. When you grow up in the era of uh, the fifties going into the sixties and then the sixties going into the seventies, you know, contemporary music, the, the older stuff sort of takes a back seat. I remember as a kid in the eighties laughing at my boss for telling me that the Beatles were the greatest band of right. all time. Right. And that can happen. And then, but when you're reintroduced to this music, and, I, and I'm glad that a lot of artists did that in the 1980s, they sort of did that revival type music, Stray Cats, The Honey Drippers, sure. where this music is, is brought back. And it's no different than what our mom and dad would have heard on the radio in 1960. And like, yeah, I like it. And it sort of opens your eyes to the music that, that came out, you know, two or three decades before you were listening to music yourself. And I don't know if our friends enjoyed the music of the fifties quite like we did, because I think there was some of that, but for the, you know, I think you and I were a little ahead of the curve in that. I mean, we really liked it. And, you know, we knew who little Richard was and Chuck Berry was. And, you know, and I think shows like Sha Na Na introduced us to that. I had one friend, Tim Schreiner. He was into older music. Right. He, he liked the, he always. Like the Beach Boys. He kept the Beach Boys yeah. cassette. You knew that in yeah. his car. And the other one that he liked was Elvis. He was an Elvis fan. Okay. So. I didn't know about Elvis, but I knew yeah. about the Beach Boys. And, and actually, when I was saying that, I was thinking of him that, you know, Tim, if you're listening, that, you know, I do remember that, you know, you were a, kind of almost like a kindred spirit and that you kind of appreciated this older music. And I, I think that where today there's a lot of kids that are younger that go back and they're listening to the music of the eighties and the nineties and the seventies. And they're kind of getting introduced to it and they think it's great. And it's, to me, it's kind of amazing that a lot of these younger kids in this younger generation, they prefer the older music because when I was that age, you know, I really liked what was happening, mm-hmm. but I also can appreciate or could appreciate some of the older music as well. Sure, when a movie like Ferris Bueller's Day Off comes out and Ferris is standing up on the float and he's singing to Twist and Shout sure. by the Beatles. I was, I, we, knew, uh, we knew the song. Knew the song and I liked it. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So that Sha Na Na, number seven on my list, I, to me that was uh, a very influential show uh, that uh, really helped broaden my musical horizon. Yeah, and that was on my list as well. Okay, so next one we're going to go number six and I can almost guarantee you this is going to be on Scott's list. Actually, you know what? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep this. So go ahead, go ahead and stop it, and then I'll cue you on when to roll it. Okay. All right. So my kids used to get the biggest kick out of it. If you want to start it over, you again, went to like the, go back the to the start. Yeah. Okay. So go back, go back to the very beginning. All right. So this I used to do this for my kids. So you Gen Xers again peeling the curtain back here. So I'm gonna back away from the microphone a little bit. So it's gonna be. Um, all right, this is my Kermit the Frog impression. All right, you tell so me when you're going to go. This is how the show, yeah. Was, so as soon as, as soon as I do the Kermit, yeah, you can roll into the song because that's kind of how they would do the cold opening. You know, uh, they would go, 30 seconds to stage, you know, Mr. Stallone. And then Kermit would come out on stage and be like, it's the Muppet Show with our very special guest, Sylvester Stallone. Yay! It's time to put on makeup. It's time to dress up right. It's time. 
Hey, back here. I love those guys. Those yep. were nightmares. Oh, there he goes. That's Gonzo. All right. That's the only theme song that we played the whole way through. Yeah. This was my favorite. You know, if I had to pick a variety show, obviously we're talking about my age at right. the time, but this was my number one, actually. Yeah. So this came out in uh, 1976. So Scott's five mm-hmm. when this comes out, and it runs right through 1981. So this is kind of your, your prime adolescent years where this would have been right in your wheelhouse. Sure. Absolutely. And I was. Uh, the Muppets were, I was never really big into Sesame Street, um, but yet when the Muppets came out, I think probably because it was an evening show and not a daytime show. Okay. So daytime was for our cartoons. Right. You know, that was, that was the Three Stooges, that was Bugs Bunny. That, mm-hmm. was, that was our time. And then this, the Muppet show, I remember being on TV like around seven. It was a, you would have the, the local news, then the national news, and then there was that one hour window that local TV shows... TV pro, uh, stations had where they could kind of play whatever they wanted to. And I remember this one being on that seven to eight range before the networks picked up at eight o'clock. So this was, this was a show that probably right after, you know, right as soon as we're done with dinner, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you have your homework done. All yeah, right. Right. Homework. Done. Well, sometimes I had to do it, Yeah, but you, you're seven o'clock. You're ready to, you know, seven o'clock. I remember sitting down, having the TV on, and the Muppet Show comes on. It, for me, I did not want to miss a single episode. No, it, you know, this is probably one of the the more memorable shows on the list for me. This is I'm a little bit older, so I you know I'm I'm able to comprehend things a little bit more. It's I'm not just laughing at something that's slapstick. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to at, at this range. So this is going right you know for me like up until the time I'm 13, where it's kind of prime, and I'm starting to to realize who these celebrities are who they're bringing on the show right right you talked about sylvester stallone right. i totally remember when stallone was on on the episode uh-huh. i remember when alice cooper appeared i remember on the when show. alice cooper was on yeah i remember El- when elton john was sure on. yeah um who were some of the other ones that that uh were on t- tony bennett i think was on the muppet show okay. i remember that one uh, obviously he's an old older guy now but he was a crooner you know he's sure. one of those guys that used to perform in vegas for crying out loud and he's on and he's on the Muppet Show, so it wasn't always outrageous personalities. It was actors, it was singers, it was a little bit of everything, and that's kind of what gave it the variety. It, it brought, you know, as a kid, I was introduced to a lot of characters. I think that may have been the first time I found out who Elton John was. Could be would, would have been on the Muppet Show because I think he was on in like 1977. Yeah, could be. So that was I. I still was learning who singers were. And that might have been my first exposure to, uh, you know, to an artist like Elton John. But here, here you take puppets as the stars of the show. You know, Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. They're, you know, they're they're the stars of the show, and you know, they're it's it's in the theater. They're performing like they're on stage at the Ed Sullivan type of show. And there's you know these really funny sketch comedies with like the Swedish Chef. That you know, I always like Swedish Chef. You know, Swedish Chef rocks. Yeah, in fact, I you know still watch Swedish Chef, and it, you know, but. As a kid, now I could really relate mm-hmm. because these were puppets. Right. But I think to credit Jim Henson, when they created the Muppets, is they wanted to have something that I think adults could appreciate on a certain level. It's kind of like you know the great cartoons of all time. When Looney Tunes was really at its heyday, they knew 
yeah, are these cartoons? Yes. Who normally watches cartoons? Kids. But these were actually shown as movie shorts in between features. So they knew adults were going to be watching them. Right. So they wrote jokes with the intent of making the adults crack up too. And you see that in The Muppets as well. The mm-hmm. Muppet Show had a lot of jokes that even uh, I'll watch it now as an adult going back and it's like, yeah, I, I can't, you right. know, as a kid, I never would have caught it. Right. So great show. Uh, only number six on my list, but, uh, you know, one of the all-time great shows. We're going to go to number five. Now, now, some of you out there listening to us may disagree with me that this show is a variety show, but uh, we can discuss it after I play the theme here. Of course, this is the opening theme to Saturday Night Live. And this is the very first. Yeah, with Chevy Chase's voice yeah. there. And this is a show that, you know, debuted in, what, 1977? and 75. 75, yeah. And it's still in the air today. Amazingly. Yeah. And obviously, SNL's gone through its ups and downs, and this is on my list as well. I had this at number three. Okay. So... So I guess it, uh, people listening may not be surprised to hear it on the list. I'm when the show first started. Now I'm too young to remember, but I have gone back and seen the episodes. But when the show first started, it was a total variety show. It was. It had skits. It had music. It had stand-up comedians. Yeah. It was full variety. It was. You you would always have the whoever the guest was, the the guest host. Because they would always have a different guest host, and they still do. And Lauren, Mi- I'm sorry, I mean to cut you oh, off. But Lauren Michaels had a, um, you know, his background was in Laughing. Okay, he was a writer on Laughing, and he was from Canada. And Johnny Carson wanted to reduce his workload schedule because they were showing Johnny Carson reruns on the weekends, on Saturdays, on Saturdays. Yeah, yeah. and so he basically told NBC. Look, I want to take more days off during the week. I want to show reruns during the week so I have, can have a, a le- lesser filming schedule. So that's what forced their hand into creating some type of Saturday night programming because up until 1975, you were watching Carson reruns. Mm-hmm. And so Dick Ebersol and Lorne Michaels kind of create this whole new uh, genre of television at that late at night, you know, where you're basically not. You're not putting something on TV that you're going to fall asleep to. Right. That it's actually going to be on for 90 minutes, and you're going to stay on from the time it comes on at 1130 until it signs off at 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you know, you touched on there, you know, it follows the formula. You know, it, it has the it has an opening monologue. The, they then do a couple of sketch comedies, and then there's always a musical guest. The musical guest always performs twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, there's... The weekend update, which is still a, a, a prominent feature of the show, is you know kind of comes in the middle and breaks it up where they talk about the news the uh, of the day, but it's it's very classic to me is kind of variety show where we're getting a little bit of everything. It's a hundred percent variety. Okay, yeah. good. I'm glad you're I'm, I'm right on board with that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and, and just amazing that any show has lasted as long as what this one has, and you know with there's been so many different cast members come and go. There's been ups and there's been downs with the show you know obviously when it started that initial cast is still kind of considered the gold standard it is you know the john belushi dan Aykroyd, chevy chase lorraine newman with garrett morris garrett morris um bill, jane curtin bill, bill murray yeah well bill murray yeah because he was in the first season he was in season two right exactly yeah. but you know just 
so many superstars that came out of that. Now, my favorite era would have been the mid to late 80s, and that would have been Dana Carvey, sure. John Lovitz, yeah. um, Dennis Miller, mm-hmm. and... Norm MacDonald. Norm MacDonald. Well, he came, he came in the little, early 90s. He came a little bit later, yeah. yeah. yeah because, Phil Hartman. Right. Oh, Phil Hartman was great. Yeah, and the, you know that was my favorite time, and I thought they were they were insanely funny. And at that point, you know, I'm a little bit older, so I I'm not falling asleep as a little kid. But I remember trying to stay up, just so because I remember you guys making such a big mm-hmm. deal about SNL that I wanted to be part of that conversation. So I remember one time bringing a black and white TV into my bedroom, and I would usually stay awake just long enough for Mr. Bill to come on, and then after Mr. I was I was out. Right. But at least I could say, hey, I saw Mr. Bill on you know on Saturday Night Live. And I could be part of that conversation. So it was a big deal to me, even though I was probably like maybe seven or eight years old. And there's so many um, like groundbreaking moments on SNL that, you know, people will still talk about. You know, you, you will have sometimes some of these these musical acts will come on and you've never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially early on, like before the MTV, you know, which we reference all the time. But so you get the 70s into the early 80s. Oftentimes, I didn't know what an artist really looked like. Mm-hmm. And then I would see him perform on SNL. Uh, and then when it you know it does get into kind of my era of music that you know there's performances that you know I mentioned in like the '70s show that we did that you know I was a really big fan of Queen and the Queen makes an appearance and they do like a great rendition of Under Pressure. I mean, some people will comment you know Freddie's voice was really bad, but it was still even with his voice being kind of hoarse, he, it's a great performance. Um, you know, of course, there's a lot of you know politically some things that have happened you know the what was it Sinead O'Connor where she tears up the picture of the Pope yes very very much where you would talk about what happened on the show yeah yeah it was definitely like I said by the time I got into high school a lot of my friends were watching it as well and so it was something that we like we talked about the Monday Monday morning or Monday afternoon sure the the day going back into class that was something we talked about was hey did you watch Saturday Night Live a lot of my friends didn't but I had a a few that did and and actually that was something as we got old enough that we could stay up. You know, we'd go to somebody's house and stay up and watch it on a Saturday night and then, uh, you know, crash at their house. So right. it, was, it was fun times. Even when Adam Sandler gets on SNL after we knew him as the stud boy in MTV <laughs> on the show Remote Control. Remote Control, yeah, with yeah. Ken Ober. With Ken Ober, and, and suddenly Adam Sandler's there, and I thought, and he was, you know, for the first time, there was now, you know, an, uh, a group on the show that was my age. Right, you know that that next wave kind of came in in the late '80s, early '90s, um, and that these this is now my generation of, of actors. Yeah, but uh, you know some some of the skits that I remember, you know, like uh, Dana Carvey obviously did the Church Lady. Mm-hmm. Him and Kevin Nealon used to do uh, Hans and Franz because mm-hmm. you and I were members of a gym, <laughs> so we found that to be particularly funny. Absolutely. So yeah, they were just and you know talking about the '70s, there are some unbelievably just brilliant sketch comedies you know comedy sketches that are written like i think one of the ones that i remember the most was the uh the burger the you know the cheeseburger cheeseburger mm-hmm. i mean if, if, if you watch that it's like it's like a real restaurant well, I, mean, I think they had it, a working grill in there yeah and i you know that character i believe is based on belushi's dad okay so he's kind of imitating either his dad or his grandpa it's, it's the chicago that you know first generation immigrant kind of with the you know fractured uh, language a little bit and he's kind of like spoofing on that a little bit okay. but you know it's it's a very famous uh scene there's um i mean you you had kind of like referenced the um you know the billy crystal 
you look marvelous, which was one of his famous skits. Right. You did that in our fashion episode, and that those lines, like what Billy Crystal said, you look marvelous. You would recite those at school on Monday sure. morning. And you know, we did a whole episode on Eddie Murphy, and I remember you and I. You had to stay up and watch sure. Eddie Murphy. I mean, he was he was can't miss TV, and so SNL took us through you know pretty much our whole entire childhood of staying up late on a Saturday night and then going blear-eyed to church the very next day. Yeah, well, I remember when Christopher Guest and Billy Crystal and um, that group kind of were brought in to kind of save the show a little bit. Harry, I really liked it. Harry Shearer, Martin Short. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mick McKeon was yeah. on there for a while. Yeah. Um, the uh, It was always great when you saw uh, Lenny from Laverne and Shirley appear in a that's, show. That's right. And uh, But yeah, no, it, it's it's amazing that it... it Sometimes it has lulls, like right now. I I not can't say that it's a show that I really tune into it anymore. But you never know; it it could you know come around again, at least for me. But it it definitely from the 1970s all the way through the 90s, this was an important part of of my weekly routine. Sure, absolutely, yeah, I agree. All right, so that was SNL Saturday Night Live number five on my list. All right, we're gonna pause and complete part one of our conversation about the variety show in the Gen X era. Sean and I remember very fondly our days watching uh, family variety shows on TV. And that's kind of really what sets Gen X apart from maybe even current television was the fact that the networks were trying to create TV shows that the entire family could sit around and watch together. As you all remember, going back into the 1970s, cable TV was a distant memory to uh, many of us. A lot of us didn't get cable TV until into the 1980s. So 1970s television, the networks were really trying to, especially their prime time programming, was they were trying to find shows that everybody could sit and watch, mom, dad, older sibling, younger sibling. And the variety show certainly was trying to hit those marks. And Sean brought up a really good point about some of these shows and just how short-lived they were and when you had a show like a carol burnett it was on the air for such a long time and it really does make it stand out a lot of these variety shows with these popular acts of the time you know we talked about the um captain and Tennille, the brady bunch uh, we didn't talk about some of the uh, some of the shows that made attempts like the starland vocal band or even the bay city rollers had a variety show so there were all kinds of different attempts at the variety show, and I think we're we're going to talk about some of the ones that a lot of people remember the most. And we still have his top four coming up, and we're going to uh, kind of dig into some little bit more detail as well as some of his honorable mentions, which are, are great shows as well. So we hope you enjoyed part one of the episode. It'll hopefully get you going into coming back and tuning in for part two. So for Sean, I'm Scott, we're the Brothers High, and we thank you so much for listening to Gen X Playback, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks.